Welcome to Nursing Uncharted, a space to explore the rawness, realness, and boundless possibilities of nursing. Each episode, I'm sitting down with nurses to share our experiences from the field and hope to bring you laughter and inspiration as you navigate this demanding yet fulfilling profession. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss a guest. And let's get started with this episode. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Nursing Uncharted. This is Maggie Reichard, your host for this podcast. And today we are going to be talking about acute care nurse practitioning. And I am super excited to talk about this because as nurses, you know, we think about going back to school and ACNP is one of the most, you know, more common popular advanced degrees that you can go back for. So it's a great topic for us to have. And today we are sitting down with Dale Shaw. She is a acute care nurse practitioner who specializes in neuroscience and neurosurgery. So Dale has been a nurse since 1980, where her nursing career started in a neurointensive care unit. Her nursing career has included acute care, research, and outpatient settings with a neurosurgical focus uh, at academic hospitals. She has been in an an acute care nurse practitioner since 1999, working with adult acute care neurosurgery patients. And she was actually one of the first ACNPs in the university hospital where she continues to work. So Dale, welcome to the show. Thanks, Maggie, for having me. I'm so happy happy to have you here today. Uh, Dale. Yeah, this is great. Dale and I used to work together in neurosurgery, so I know how important she is to the betterment of inner workings every unit. And she's one of my first favorite NPs to date to work with. So I just appreciate you sitting down with me to talk about your job. Thank you. So um, just to start out, as far as becoming an ACNP, just tell me a little bit about like the history of ACNP and how you came into that role. Yeah, so I, um, as you said before, did some other roles after I'm leaving the ICU and um, really missed bedside nursing and missed um, working with nurse colleagues, um, which I wasn't getting Mm -hmm. that kind of feedback or enjoying it as much in other settings. And so mm-hmm. I went back to the bedside on the acute care side and was happy to be there. Considered getting my master's, but I didn't really wanna be in a teaching situation away from the bedside. Didn't really wanna um, be a clinical nurse specialist because again, didn't saw that more as a um, problem solving role for mm-hmm. um, systems. Mm-hmm. And so really until the ACMP program came about, um, I just wasn't interested in anything because I didn't want to leave the bedside. Yeah. And then ab- about three years after going back to the bedside, the ACMP program started at the um, university where I work. Mm-hmm. And that to me was just like the perfect position. So I applied and I continued to work full-time and went to school part-time. So it took a little bit longer. For me, it was a good three years. Um, okay. But again, I was going to school part-time and I was working Mm full-time. So, um, and now you can actually go and get your ACMP and your doctorate of nursing practice um, together, which is three years total full-time, but you walk away with a doctorate and you have a good research background. Yeah. So I think- That is so important. It is. And I think that if I was advising somebody to- to what route to go, I would do tell them to go through with the DNP because you just can get all of it at one time. Yeah. I mean, it makes some, it makes sense. Like we base 
so much of our practice on to research. You know, you want to have that underlying background. Absolutely. And the other thing is you want to contribute to the nursing research. And what better role than somebody who's at the bedside, yeah, right? Yeah. To, to actually do research at the bedside where you can um, then disseminate it through the rest of um, the country and make changes to taking care of patients. So that is, you know, makes it even more exciting. Yeah. Um, and then you're also including the nurses at the bedside in that research so that they get a taste of that. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of, you know, it's empowering for the unit to be a part of those projects. You know, it, it helps you solidify, you know, a culture there and, um, you know, holds people accountable and makes them proud of what they do. So, I mean, research on the unit really, I feel like strengthens, strengthens units. It does. I agree with you completely. And also, you know, we talk about evidence-based nursing and making sure we're using evidence-based nursing and we should be contributing to that evidence, yeah. right? Yeah. So that we're, we're all still um, practicing that way. Yeah. I think when people think about research, you know, they don't think about evidence-based practice in nursing a lot of the time, you know, but like everything that we do from, you know, preventing infections and central lines and just washing hands and mobilizing patients. I mean, all of that is research-based, you know. Absolutely. um, Absolutely. And even the way we take care of wounds, the way we um, position mm -hmm. patients. And I mean, look at during COVID about the proning positions. I mean, that was really an evidence-based practice that was used during the COVID pandemic to save patients' lives. Um, and, And so- you know, that's a really good example to me of bedside nursing research that can be yeah. used. Yeah, absolutely. What about as far as schooling? Um, is there like how did you specialize in neurosurg in neuro during like did you just do did you have to choose that during school or did you have kind of, how does that work? Yeah, so I did actually. They actually ask you to sort of knowing that you can change your mind at any point in time, they ask you sort of to specialize in the, so you can set up your clinicals. Okay. So that, you know, that you're getting what you need for your practice. Sure. Um, But it's also kind of a great time to throw in a couple of clinicals of things that you're not so good at. Like for me, um, pulmonary was not a strength. I had, Mm -hmm. um, I had been a neurosurgery nurse and I had taken care of patients with ventilators, but, but not really pulmonary, you know? Sure. And so I did a MICU rotation um, mm-hmm. to kind of benefit me with that strength that I didn't have to begin with. Yeah. And then, um, so I think that's important too, is to not just specialize, but also open yourself up to other, um, other um, things that you can, can strengthen your practice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Absolutely. It's definitely been, I mean, when I was traveling, you know, I started out in neuro, but then you kind of go, you kind of prioritize what kind of jobs you want. And, and then you end up, you know, finding yourself in a different type of specialty, all kind of in acute care. But, um, you know, I took a, I took a couple neuro jobs and then I took a um, head and neck job and cardiac and it was kind of like, so like, oh, okay, I don't know anything about that, but exactly. I'm just going to follow all my orders and hope, that we hope for the best. But it, it really, after four years of doing that, it really like, you know, expedited my nursing experience. Cause you, I mean, it's so important to introduce yourself to, you know, I feel like a jack of all trades now, you know. Absolutely. And, you know, 
you don't, all, all our patients that come through, I mean, they, they may have neurosurgery, but they also have other medical problems yeah. that I need to take care of. And so, you know, you really do have to strengthen um, your education, taking care of those patients. Yeah. And then I also, um, I tell every, I did a, um, um, a little clinical in the EP lab because I knew nothing about anything. And I just was like, you know, people talk about it. I have no idea what they're talking yeah. about. Yeah. So that, I did a, electrophysiology. Uh huh. Yeah. And, okay. And like, you know, pacemakers and, um, sure. okay. Bl- yeah. You know, um, AFib. And so I knew nothing about that. I was like, I should really like take advantage of this opportunity and go ahead and learn something about it. So when my patients come in and they talk about what they've been through, I have some idea what it's about. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Getting that like full rounded. So did you have to do clinicals in the outpatient setting also during your... I didn't have to, but I did. I did it in the neurosurgery clinic. Mm-hmm. And I did it because I felt like it would really help my um, physical exam. Mm. Because, you know, when patients come to the hospital, we already have a diagnosis for them most mm-hmm. of the time. Maybe yeah. not on a medicine service, but certainly on a neurosurgery service. We, we have a diagnosis or working diagnosis. Yeah. When patients present to the clinic they're presenting with either pain or some sort of deficit and you don't have a diagnosis. So I felt like it would help my clinical physical exam and also history taking by doing the outpatient because I was starting from scratch. Sure. I think it must've also too just help you kind of formulate a whole big picture and seeing patients, not just inside, you know, like their four or five day course, but seeing them, you know, when they just, yeah, seeing the whole picture. Yeah. And also I got to see patients come back, which I never see, right, in the hospital. So, you know, a subarachnoid hemorrhage that we sent to rehab, I got to see come actually come back in clinic and look fantastic. And so that was kind of rewarding um, to see those patients in the outpatient setting. That's such a thing that we miss in inpatient that I so wish that we had you know, is just that, that feedback, that, that kind of full circle, like, you know, they were a spinal cord or, you know, they went to rehab and, and now they're doing great. And, you know, I wish, I wish that we had that ability to, to know that, like, we're still thinking about you guys. It's true. It's true. That's why I love when patients come back to the hospital to see us and they never remember us, of course, but we remember them. And so it's wonderful. There was a guy I remember who was a traumatic brain injury and he was, I mean, you know how TBIs are. I mean, he was like a classic. He was labile, behaviorally labile. I think he headbutted a nurse. Um, you know, he was in four point restraints at one point. He was just all over the place and he went to rehab and then he came back to the unit walking, just a normal, <laughs> normal guy. And I was like, I'm so happy. This guy pulled a deer out of the out of the road and got hit. And I remember, yeah. You remember him? Yes. And I just I mean I was so happy for him and it's just amazing what the body can do and it like is how amazing. it can heal. You know, I did one rotation in a rehab and that was that kind of really helped my full circle too. I mean, just being able to see you're you're seeing those patients for like 2 or 3 weeks as opposed to a couple of days. Um, but like the, the improvements that they can, you know, have within a matter of, 
matter of days. It's incredible. And it gives you a little bit of validation and satisfaction for the work that you're doing. It definitely does. I mean, it, it really, it really does, especially for like those TBI patients, which can be hard patients to take care of. Right. And then to see them come back and see how well they're doing, it makes all of it worthwhile. Like everything (laughs) worthwhile, (laughs) like the good and the bad worthwhile. Yeah. There was a guy another patient who came back to the unit and, and I think, and I, I mean, those, the, I think he was a subdural and he was just kind of a little inappropriate, but just more confused, you know, I, I didn't fault him at all, but he came back and, but his family did, they were like, you just wait until you're oriented again. We are going to tell you about all these things that you said. <laughs> and he came back to the unit and I remember him being like, I, and I, I really appreciate the care that you, that you provided for me. And I'm so sorry for any, you know, <laughs> thing that I said or did. I was like, I'm just happy that you're well, you know? Yeah. So true. So, it does. It, it makes, it makes the bad stuff seem really good, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It really does. And to know yeah. that people didn't give up on them. That's the other thing. Yeah. You know, we, we don't give up on, on people and we just know that they're going to turn around. Yeah. It takes a really special, I mean, I think neuro patients are some of the hardest patient populations there are because of that factor, because of that, you know, constant need to have like a selfless, you know, empathetic mindset for these people that don't mean what they are doing or say, and they're not in their right mind and they're very, you know, um, irritated or overstimulated, you know, um, it, it takes a lot to take care of those people. And so it's, you know, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's a difficult, you know, it's a difficult um, population to take care of sometimes. I think it is too. I think mm-hmm. it is too. And I think also, um, and I say this all the time, I think, you know, we don't get good neuro in school. Nobody yeah. gets good. So it's, it's a little overwhelming when you get out of school, if you're taking care of a neuro patient, because yeah. You don't feel very well trained to take care of them, yeah. And and um, and I think people get nervous and scared because they don't really understand neuro patients, and you just have to kind of jump in and take care of them and learn about them, yeah. Um, and I think that's why it's so important, like when when we get new nurses on the unit, to really invest in their education so that it's it's not scary. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's a good segue because I want to talk a little bit about the patient population that we see in neuro because a lot of people get intimidated by neuro and how specialized it is. And a lot of people don't get to see specialized neuro patients on their floor. Um, so like, so help me do a little a, like quick rundown of like a normal neurosurgical uh, neuro population. So I think we'll start from what people would consider the easiest patients first. And those are the, um, the spine patients, patients who have, you know, herniated disc or spinal stenosis and they're getting fusions. Um, they may or may not have deficits, um, Mm -hmm. being that they could have leg weakness. Um, but then there's the medical kind of neurosurgical emergency. And those are the patients that have cauda equina from a compressed nerve root. Mm -hmm. And of course Mm -hmm. have urinary retention and, um, those are the patients that even could be very young patients and have yeah. very devastating, even though they're walking, they still have a devastating injury. Yeah. Um, so those are those are a lot of our patients. Um, spinal cord injury patients, I think, are 
also one of the most difficult patients to take care of and that it's such a devastating injury. Yeah. It's an injury that changes everything Your about that life. person. Yeah. Everything about that person mm-hmm. where they thought they would be in the future, they won't be there in the future. They have a different future. And so yeah. I think from a physical and emotional standpoint, those are those are also some of the more difficult patients to care for. We'll be right back to this episode. We just want to take a brief moment to shout out the company that makes this show possible, American Mobile. If you're a nurse interested in traveling, visit AmericanMobile.com to explore the amazing benefits that American Mobile has to offer. Featuring short and long-term contract opportunities at leading facilities across the country with higher earning potential, W-2 employee status, and a flexible schedule, American Mobile is your advocate for career success. Visit AmericanMobile.com to begin your travel nursing adventure today. And now back to the show. Yeah, they're also some of the most heaviest education-wise and, you know, nursing um, heavy, you know. Yeah, because it's total body. You know, yeah. every system, you are, you are taking care of every single system. And there's not a lot of medical things that can be done for spinal cord injuries. Yeah. It's all nursing. It's all mm-hmm. nursing care. That's what changes the outcome of a spinal cord injury patient. Honestly. Yeah. yeah so true. And then you have the TBIs, which we sort of talked about, but it, along with that is also the, you know, the subdurals, the subarachnoid hemorrhages from aneurysms or the subdurals are, is the, you know, your 70 and 80 year old person that's fallen. Mm-hmm. Um, and has tons of comorbidities that you're also managing. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're also, you know, it's kind of like a fork in the road for some of these patients of what happens next to where they go from here. Right. Right. So, you know, they may not be able to go back home. Yeah. Discharge planning is so huge. It is. Because a lot of times it's like, okay, why, why are you falling? You are probably in this pivotal point in your life where you're at a crossroads and, you know, your family isn't around, but you, you can't take care of yourself anymore. You know, you can see these chronic, acute on chronic subdurals. It's like something right. has to change. And sometimes they're the caregiver, you know, they're the caregiver mm-hmm. for their spouse. Um, and then they've, you know, had an injury that has changed everything for the whole family. Um, yeah. So those are, are definitely some of those patients. And then um, and then we have the aneurysmal patients that have subarachnoid hemorrhages that also can be quite devastating and usually tend to happen in um, a younger population, meaning younger than 50. Um, mm-hmm. So as far as deficits and rehab and disability is a big thing for those patients as well. And they yeah. can also be primary caregivers or they could be primary, yeah. um, you know, wage earners and things like that. So again, most of them, except for the elective surgeries, most all of them are change people's Traumatic. lives. Traumatic, yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. even, the, and then we can talk about brain tumor patients, which also does the same thing. I mean, mm-hmm. the outcome's not always positive, but um, but a lot of times it is, and it's just getting them through the recovery. Yeah. Those, the brain tumor patients, well, I wanted to ask, what do you think is the most what type of population is the most interesting to you? I mean, like the most kind of stimulating to you? You know, I think if I had, I think some of the brain tumor patients are really 
the most interesting, especially nowadays, there's so much information about brain tumors mm-hmm. and we're learning so much and they're the, as far as the pathology and I can't even begin to explain all that they're finding out about brain tumors and just the histology of it and pathology of it and then mm-hmm. the treatment of it. So for me, I think that's really exciting Yeah. because um, I, I don't think it has the I just, I feel more optimistic, let me say, than, um, than I may have felt pre- previously felt. Yeah. Um, and then the pituitary, you know, where we work is mm-hmm. really have a lot of pituitary tumors and they're always very interesting because yeah. I sort of like endocrine. Um, mm-hmm. And so they have all those endocrine problems that you have to figure out. So I think those are a nice population to take yeah. care of as well. I had, um, I worked in New York City in an endocrine um, clinic for three months, and there was a new um, endocrine uh, attending that needed a nurse, and she was like pituitary and neuroendocrine. I was like, her, I want her. I want her. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, because all of this stuff is so interesting. And she loved having me because she knew, like, I already had a background. You had a background. Pituitary patients. And, you know, as a traveler, you can't really, you know, be on the lookout for neuro-specific CNRNs with pituitary experience. So it was just a, it was a great match. Um, but yeah, they are so interesting. I mean, They're it's so interesting. It's crazy how much your pituitary is responsible for so many different hormones. And when that's like a functioning um, macroadenoma, like everything is just out of whack. And, right. you know, it's, it's, yeah, they they are probably, yeah, the most interesting and yeah, complex. You know? Yeah. And you know, the other thing about those patients is that I find that they come to us with some uh, hesitancy about the medical profession because a lot of times their symptoms have been going on for quite some time and they have, it takes a while for them to get diagnosed. Yeah. And so they are, they're, they're usually very, um, they've read a lot. They're very caught up on their own care and what their own ish, um, endocrine problems are. And they're very educated about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's some distrust because they have been, um, it's taken a while for them to get to where we're seeing them, yeah. you know, because yeah. they, some, it's, sometimes the symptoms are very vague when they first start out and it's just hard to diagnose them. So, right. so you have a patient that has, you know, all these problems and they have a little bit of a distrust with the medical system. So yeah. it's even more challenging. Yeah. Well, when you have one problem that doesn't, you know, it's affecting a system and not like headache or vision changes or balance or, you know, it's like you go to that one specialized doctor and then they think it's something and then you go somewhere else and they think it's something else. And I can uh, totally, you know, I totally sympathize. I, I understand that. But I mean, I think the thing about brain tumors is like, you can see it and you can right. treat it. Right. Like that's, that's kind of like, you know, there's so much in medicine that it's like, we don't really know, you know, but I mean, those, those things, it's like satisfying in that way. Like, okay, this is, is, this is the, you know, um, this is the problem. This is is what we have to do. Yeah. Right. So yeah, that's very true. Yeah. As a, as a floor nurse, um, floor nurses don't really get to understand like the day-to-day schedule that nurse practitioners and interns and residents have, you know, we'll, we'll kind of interact at different points in the day, but, um, just to get a sense of like what your day entails, talk to me a little about what your normal day looks like for you on the floor. 
Okay, so I, I usually come in pretty early in the morning because um, because the neurosurgeons are going to go to the OR and we need to have a discussion about what the plan is for the patient. So mm-hmm. I tend to come in around between 5.30 and 6 o'clock um, and look at the patients that are on the floor, go through what's happened during the night. I love going in also early in the morning because I talk to the night shift about how was their night, what mm-hmm. happened, um, what happened with this patient, especially like the TBI patients or did they sleep, you know? Yeah. So like, how was the patient's night and also how was the nurse's night? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one reason I go in really early. And then, so I go through the patients and then we do what we call a sign out at seven o'clock. And that's where all the residents have already rounded with their attendings. And then they give us the plan from the attendings viewpoint and we can have discussions. So mm-hmm. if I have a question about a patient, say, when are we going to restart their apixaban, you know, after surgery, I, that's the time I can ask that question and, um, and then plan for the day for the patients. Mm-hmm. And then, then I go see all the patients um, that I'm taking care of. And then we have interdisciplinary rounds where we meet with PTOT, social work, case management, um, and, and talk about disposition and discharge mm-hmm. planning. Mm-hmm. And um, and then throughout the day, I just see all patients, um, look at labs, look at any testing that we've done. So if we've ordered a CT scan, then I'll look at the results of the CT scan, um, talk to families, talk to the patient, give them the results, tell, collaborate with the patients and the families about what their plans are for the day and what mm-hmm. they hope to accomplish, their goals, Um and then we come up with a plan. So, mm-hmm. you know, like if it's walk three times today, it could be just walking three times, but that's like the plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course, emergencies happen sometimes, hopefully not that often. And, and I have to say, I, I feel like, I feel like we're on top of things a lot that it, things are not really surprising. Nothing is yeah. very rare that there's a surprise. Yeah. Um, but it does happen. And so... Um, that can always change your day. Mm-hmm. But then I mostly try to get patients discharged um, by mm-hmm. a reasonable time. And so that then when the post-op patients, I'm ready for them when they come up. And then it's assessment, going through med reconciliation, you know, talking with families, the patient, and, and kind of making a plan, like mm-hmm. Foley's coming out or not coming out and why and that kind of thing. Yeah. So, and, and then throughout the day, I'm speaking with nurses to tell them, they're telling me, you know, we're collaborating with the care mm-hmm. of the patient. Um, and I, I'm very, I'm very, very much in favor of nurse-driven everything. Yeah. So it's not me putting orders in, it's us talking about what we're going to do for the patient. Sure. You know, that, that to me is the important thing. Um, yeah. You know, I'm not going to order an enema for somebody if we're not going to talk about it. And they're, you're going to tell me what's been going on. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it, that seems like a silly thing, but it's not a silly thing, you know. Right. Um, so so just collaborating with that. And then also um, with our my residents, um, we call running the list. So we run the list about midday to see what still needs to be done as far as any consults or testing. And then... Um, and then before we leave in the evening, we do a sign out with okay. a resident that will be on call during the night so that gotcha. they're fully aware of everything that's 
the, any concerns that we have about patients, anything that still needs to be follow up on and gotcha. then come back and do it the next day. Yeah. Right. I guess I, <laughs> I, I didn't realize how, I mean, it's very similarly parallels with the floor nurses days too. There's a lot on the front end and you're like getting your day and figuring out the goal and the plan and you're talking to other teams and you get your assessments done and then you just wait for the rest of the, you know, you just respond to, you know, needs and then you try to discharge patients and then other patients are coming in and you're trying to, yeah, it's pretty new yeah. for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So I sort of describe the nurse, the acute care nurse practitioner as the center of a wheel. Mm-hmm. And so the, the nurse practitioner is the center of the wheel and all the information is coming through the spokes to the nurse practitioner. And then she's also taking all the information out to the spokes to the other people. So consult services or radiology or nurses or, you know, therapist, yeah. physical, occupational speech. So I, that's how I see, that's how I envision the role is being the center of the wheel. And yeah. then everything's coming in and going out from that center. Yeah, that's a great analogy. Great way to put it. I yeah. feel like nursing a lot of times, I, I um, assimilate it to the switchboard. You <laughs> know, <a> good <laughs> plug in, plug you're in. You're the ones, you're the ones. <laughs> like, okay, this is a change that I got to contact this person. This person, you know, needs to work with PT. You got to contact them. Oh, they think they can swallow. All right, contact me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> or they can't swallow. Or contact. they can't swallow. Contact me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so that's the way I look at the nurse practitioner role in, in acute care is that center of the wheel. Yeah. Well, really cool. And then you have families too and, you know, patients and everything mm-hmm. too. They're part of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I like your I've, switchboard. Yeah, you can use that. <laughs> okay. I've, I mean, I, yeah, I just think, you know, I remember coming off of orientation as a nurse and when you didn't have your, your preceptor to kind of be the, the gatekeeper for a lot of those people. And I remember the, the extreme shift. I was like, oh, everybody is coming to me about whatever this needs to accomplish. I'm like, I, okay, I'm the person that has to like put all of this in my brain and remember to tell whoever and document it all. And so, yeah. Really not that different. I'm just telling you, it's yeah. not that different. It's just, it's on a, it's on a different uh, scale, but it's, it's not right. that different. Yeah. You know, it's, um, you know, I can remember the first time writing a prescription for narcotics and totally freaking out because I was like, who said I could do this, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but you also had like, you know, you had that background and, and, you know, I think that's another, it's important to get a little bit of, of that floor experience too, before you go up to be an NP, cause you know what to order, you know, like, you know. Absolutely. And also, um, I'm probably a little prejudiced about getting, having experience going into the, um, the school, but you also bring a lot to your colleagues in school, right? Mm-hmm. So like if you've been working, right, in your experiences, yeah. then in that classroom or clinical setting, you add to that, like, yeah. right? Because you have things to bring to it. And so yeah. I also think it makes you a better student um, and, and co- student yeah. colleague. Colleague, right. Yeah, that that makes total sense. Because when you're in school, you're like you're presenting a patient 
to mm-hmm. your colleagues, okay, out in the hall. This is what the medicine physicians do, right? They yeah. present the patient and they talk about the patient. Well, you're also talking about the patient and it may not be your patient, but you have something to offer because of your experiences. Right, yeah. And in, in the care of that patient that maybe somebody else hasn't thought about. Yeah, so true. I think that's one of the beautiful things about teaching hospitals too and university hospitals is that you have so many minds that are, you know, working together. Um, yeah. I think it benefits patients. I really oh, absolutely. do. Absolutely. Because what my strength is and what your strength is are different things. And so we're going to see the patient in a different way mm-hmm. and we're going to yeah. have something different to offer them. Yeah. As someone who's been working in the same place for most of their career, I feel like you have an ability, you have an, a unique ability to kind of be the constant in an ever-changing environment you know, you have the knowledge of what's been in the past versus where we are now in terms of nursing practice. And, um, you know, with that in mind, I'm curious to know, in your opinion, what you think some of the most notable changes have been um, in nursing over the years? Well, you know, that's a really good question. I think, um, I think it changes. Um, I think nurses have a little bit more autonomy. Um, Mm-hmm. Definitely more autonomy than they did before. I see the nurse as the patient is patient centric. And like you said before, being the switchboard, everybody comes to the nurse yeah. and the nurse is really directing care. That's the way I see it. Mm. Um, I, you know, I think, I think we're collegial, more collegial than it sure. used to be. You know, yeah. it used to be more, um, physician dominant. I, I yeah. don't see that. I see that changing. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's a more, we're all taking care of the patient. There's no, there's, it's a team. Yeah. Uh, so it's if I had team a, oriented, mm-hmm. it is more team oriented. And I definitely think that's a big change um, for us. Um, yeah. And that's happened probably over, I would say 15 years. That's, that's been happening. Okay. Um, I also think the complexity of patients is astounding. Um mm. You it used think to be of, very cut and dry, like this is the problem, we fix the problem. Yeah. And patients, I know everybody thinks that they take care of the sickest patients, but patients are sicker. I mean, yes. they just, they have a lot more comorbidities. Mm-hmm. Um, and so their, their care is a lot more complex. And so you may be on a neuro floor, but you're taking care of somebody with peritoneal dialysis and... You know, they have diabetes, they have an EVD on the floor or a lumbar drain, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's not your laminectomy that comes in, has surgery and goes home. Those patients are outpatient now, you know, those patients may spend the night, but they're home the next day. Yeah. Those aren't the ones that stay in the hospital. So the patients that stay in the hospital are a lot more complex Mm. and have a lot more needs. And I think nurses have to be a lot more educated and supported um, to take care of these complex patients. Yeah. That's really interesting to know. I mean, I remember, you know, you hear as a younger nurse, you hear about, you know, stories of nurses taking on like 11 plus 12 to 15 patients. And I think about like, how, how I couldn't like, I, you know, but I think that there, there are, there's a lot more, you know, complexities. I feel like now that they, you know, there's a lot more that we are required to think about and 
do in our day to day. And I guess that makes that makes sense that they probably, you know, realize that and cut down the amount of, you know, safe patient care. Absolutely. And not to take away from from those of us that did take care of 30 patients or however many patients, you didn't have time to actually really look at the patient, right? Yeah. You you were checking boxes off. I mean, that's the way it was. And, um, you know, I think we gave good care, but we didn't, we didn't check labs. We didn't have time to check labs. So what does that mean? You know, if we're not checking labs or, you know, an intern who has also the same amount of patients. So I, I think, I think the care is better because we aren't taking care of so many patients. Sure. Um, and I think I won't even try to get into like how you figure out staffing. I think that that is a, such a controversial subject, mm-hmm. um, but I think it needs to be one that the nurse, that nurses drive and no one else does. Yeah. I have kind of, you know, going into the ICU setting, and but having the acute care background, the, the busyness in the day is very different. I mean, you really trying to provide really great quality care to four people is difficult. I mean, it, it can is difficult, be, especially with complex patients and patients that can't get up on their own and they can't eat on their own. I mean, neuro specific patients are very, you know, it's it's amazing when you can't when you can't get up on your own and you can't do those like normal activities of daily living you know, that takes, that takes a, a huge uh, chunk of time out of your day to do all It's a hard things. workload. It take, it's a big part of your workload, right? Yeah. And then assessing the patient and also figuring out, you know, should I give this drug or not? I mean, right. That's part of like what you're, you're making those decisions of, I don't think I should be giving this. Now you're going to talk to your um, MP colleague or um, your physician colleague, but you're the one that's bringing it to them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So right. That's part of like, and then all the other things that go along with it. You know, you have a, just think of a patient that has DKI and what that one patient, and that's one of your four patients, you know, that's a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a lot to remember. And it's a lot to like, you know, you have, you have, a, you have the responsibility and the accountability to be autonomous and make the right decisions and communicate them to everyone else. But also in that moment, you know, it's like, okay, this is ordered at this time, but this doesn't seem right to me. Right. Instead of just like, well, the doctor said. (laughs) Right. So that's, yeah, I could see that being a big change. And also, I mean, let's, let's just bring it into neuro. Okay. Who's at the bedside and sees this patient? Nurses. All right. Mm -hmm. There are, Neuro patients can have such subtle changes that if it's yeah. if the neuro nurse doesn't pick it up, it's not going to be picked up, right? Yeah. And like honestly, it could just be from someone who knew that they were in, you know, Virginia, mm-hmm. like two hours ago, and now doesn't. And somebody could like dismiss that as that they're tired or whatever, right? Right? Pain meds or you know, yeah. And if if you're not bringing it forward to the appropriate people to um, like start investigating this, then yeah. it's not going to happen. Yeah. And communication is so key. I remember, you know, when neuro-ophthalmology comes around and they like do an assessment and then you, they dilate the pupils and you come in there and you're like, ah, 
because they're like eight and fixed. You know? <laughs> like communication is so key. It is. <laughs> it is key. They still do that. Yeah, they just come right in there and they just drop a couple eye drops in their eyes and leave and just yeah. like, give you a heart attack. Exactly, freak you out for the rest of the day. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> well, I want to talk about something um, really special that I've never seen on other units or nurse practitioners doing, and it's that you incorporate it into your ACNP practice, which is nursing education rounds. Um, so can you explain to listeners what nursing, uh, nursing rounds are? Yeah. So I, um, when I was in, when I was in school, I loved that, um, the ACMP students would stand talking outside the patient's room. Sometimes we'd go in the patient's room if it was a patient that could contribute, right. is awake and everything. And we would talk about patients and we would look at films and we would do all these things to have a total understanding of what was going on with the patient. And then having this group of people also come up with different ideas of how to take care of the patient, right? Mm -hmm. We don't do that a lot with nursing. We really Mm -hmm. don't, right? We don't like sit in a group of nurses and talk about taking care of patients and asking questions about what would you do in this situation? Like we don't have the opportunity. And that bothered me. So that was one thing. The other thing is, is I was fortunate enough when I worked in the neuro ICU as a new grad, um, that the medical director would come in at like two o'clock in the morning and sh- and throw up CT scans. This was before we had PACs oh, cool. or MRI. Well, we didn't have MRI at the time, but you know, throw up CT scans would show us, would teach us about the films and like, you know, and connect neuroanatomy and with mm-hmm. with the films. So I thought, you know, that that was something also that we don't get as nurses, right? So I just decided we were going to do this. Like, we're just going to do this. We're going to have like a half an hour. Um, It used to be twice a week. I would do it Monday mornings, like at 4.30 in the morning, and then Mm -hmm. Wednesdays at um, 1.30 in the afternoon. So I'd get the night shift and the day shift. And um, now I just do the night shift once a month. Sorry, I'm just older. Um, (laughs) But we it started off that I would ask them who the most vulnerable patient on the unit was. And vulnerable could be anything. It could be a diagnosis. It could be a, someone who doesn't speak English, which makes them vulnerable, right? Mm-hmm. It could be um, somebody who's homeless. So, I mean, it could be anything that made them vulnerable, but... Mm-hmm. That's how we would start the conversation. And I would, I did keep it to neuro patients because I also wanted to talk about the whole patient. Um, mm-hmm. So that's how it started. It was talking about the most vulnerable patient. And usually I found like, if you ask me what are some of the best nursing rounds that I've done, those would be the ones I would tell you, because a lot of times it was the difficult patient, the difficult neuro patient mm-hmm. that we would talk about. And then we would talk about what the patient was going through. So mm. I'll just give you a quick example. Yeah. I talked about this, this really young guy. He was like 24 years old. He was on a motorcycle. Um, he was in an accident. He fractured C3-4 and also got a pre- brachial plexus injury. So mm. he was neurologically intact from his cervical spine injury, but he had a brachial plexus injury, which means he couldn't use his right arm at all. Mm. Of course, he comes into the hospital, we do surgery on him, fix his spine, and can't at this point do anything for his brachial plexus because they tend to wait and let things calm down before they see if they can fix it. So we're talking in nursing rounds, and he was kind of an angry, like he was a little 
angry about what he was going through. And everyone was kind of like, I mean, he's so lucky. And so I was like, yeah, I know he is. He could have been a C3-4, you know, spinal cord injury. Like he is so lucky, except for he can't use his right arm. Do you think he thinks he's lucky? He doesn't think he's lucky because he doesn't know he could have been a spinal cord injury, right? Right, right. He doesn't know what it could have been. He only knows that he can't use his right arm. And for whatever reason, whatever his goal in life are, he doesn't have a right arm that he can use. Yeah. So kind of changing the perspective, right, Mm -hmm. changes then the way we approach him. Yeah, change his care. It does. Because you can totally put yourself in his position and it it does change. It changes our approach to him. So those are the ones that I tend to like remember the most, but I do like, um, so I do one or two things. Like I either present it, have the nurses present a patient that they're taking care of and talk about their deficits. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then have everyone try to figure out where the lesion is or what's going on. Like what's the diagnosis. Yeah. And I make them go through everything like from zebras to the most obvious, mm-hmm. right? And so everyone kind of shouts out, oh, it's probably this or it's probably that. Or, and then we say, well, why? why? Why do you think it's maybe this? And they would be like, well, I think it's, you know, an infection because he has a white count and he has this and that, you know, we talk about it. Mm-hmm. And so then I throw up the CT and the MRI and we see where it really is. And yeah. most of the time they know exactly where it is because they're neuro nurses, right? Mm-hmm. So sometimes I put up a film in, or an MRI and I say, okay, here, and we go through like they, all the nurses on six, all the nurses know how to read CT scans because mm-hmm. they've been taught how to read them. And so we'll throw up a film and we'll say like, what do you see here? And they'll describe what they see. They won't diagnose what they see. They describe it. So there's blood, mm-hmm. you know, along the right um, outer edge of the brain with a shift to five millimeter shift over to the left. Mm-hmm. And there's blood in the frontal um, lobes, you know, so they'll yeah. talk about it. They'll say it. And then I say to them, what do you think they're presenting symptoms were? And so try to take it from the other way, you know, having the, having the film and then trying to come up with how the patient looked mm-hmm. and doing it that way. Those so are that, some of my was some of my favorites because it really makes you makes you think so much it makes you like you know put all of the pieces together and you're really I mean the continuing education piece was just so valuable for me and I know it was so valuable for for everybody else too well and also I mean it's hard when you're like it's neuro is kind of like putting like understanding cranial nerves and what what affects what cranial nerve and why that cranial nerve is affected or why is somebody weak in their arm, but not in their leg, you know, trying to understand or, or they have a facial palsy, but it's not their eye, you know, like a stroke wouldn't cause a lower facial palsy, right? Not their eye. Mm-hmm. So like trying to put those together. And then also, I think most of us are visual. So to visually see where something mm-hmm. is and then put signs and symptoms together, I think just you remember it then, right? Yeah. So, so then when you're getting report and you get a report that your patient, you know, had a right craniotomy for a frontal, you know, hemangioblastoma, you're going to kind of know what you should be looking for on this patient, mm-hmm. right? Because you know where it is, you know what it is, and you know what you're, you're, you should be looking for. Yeah, yeah. I, and it's just I, more valuable, right, in t- caring for the patient. Yeah, I mean, you feel you... it. it 
provides so much for the nurse and for the patient when everybody understands what's going on. You know, you just get so much better care, I feel like, when you're like, you know, if it maybe maybe something something happens and instead of not knowing, instead of having like a, a fear of not understanding your patient, because that's very real as a nurse, you know, just being able to have a little bit of peace knowing, you know, this is normal for that patient or this is something that we talked about that we can anticipate happening. Exactly. And that's usually what happens is that, um, like, we'll talk about a patient who's in the ICU that's going to come to the floor. And so Mm -hmm. we'll go through those films and their course through the ICU so they know exactly what to expect when the patient hits the floor. They know what to look for. They know, you know, like, I presented a patient on Wednesday who was having surgery the next day and then going to go to the unit and then coming back. And so I was like, so what do you think the most... What, what do you think complication could happen with this patient? And it was that the patient could have developed hydrocephalus. Well, they know what to look for, right? They saw the film. They know exactly the patient. They yeah. know, oh, this patient, I need to be aware that might get hydrocephalus. Mm-hmm. And these are the things I need to look for. Yeah. So it just, it just makes it so much better. And then, or you can hang up a film of somebody that's had a, you know, T1 through iliac fusion and, you see all the instrumentation and you say, yeah, I can see why they might be in pain. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, oh, yeah. <laughs> all of that. Yeah, yeah. I see that. that would hurt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. One of my favorite um, nursing rounds, and I, it's applicable because I tell my, I've told my husband this story, but I remember there was a, uh, a patient that you presented who came in um, she came in uh, with behavioral changes. I think it was a, or no, she came in with a sinus infection. She went to the emergency room for a sinus infection and um, she was prescribed flagell and went home. Um, she was having nausea and uh, so she stopped it. And then probably over the course of, you know, a week or so, she started developing um, behavior changes and I think what made her come into the emergency room is she was like screaming on, on the hood of a car or something. And they they brought her in and they did a scan and she had an infection in her frontal lobe. Um, and so they had they did triple antibiotic therapy and um, you know, cleared it up. And what had happened was she had a ruptured eardrum. And she went scuba diving and she got an anaerobic bacteria in her eardrum. Um, and my husband has a has a ruptured eardrum and he used to have chronic infections. We're like, no scuba diving for you. You are not. That is, I'm not doing that. No. We're not doing that. Yeah. That is not on the agenda. <laughs> but I just remember, you know, like you said, you go through the process of like, well, what do you what do you think might be on her scan or Maybe you pulled up the CT scan and you're like, so what, what, how do you think she could have presented? Um, and just making you, you know, making all the wheels turn in your brain. It's something that, um, you know, was invaluable to me. Um, and I know that it has a long-term impact on, on the nurses there. So. Yeah, I think it, I, it's, to me, it's probably the most important thing I do, honestly, because, um, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of like if if everyone is informed and everyone knows how to take care of patients, right, then patients get great care, 
right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, you're just like have this big group of people that can then manage a lot of complex patients. But the other thing is, is that they get it. Like they really know what's going on, you know? Yeah. It's like, it's not just steps. It's thinking, it's critical thinking and developing those critical thinking skills. And also I think it gives a lot of autonomy and because you can bring a lot to the table and a lot to the discussion. Yeah. Right. I think that's why I've, I've always considered the nurses that come out of that unit, like Spartan nurses, I think. And, and it's because of that, that, you know, motivation to teach and make them confident in their nursing ability and, you know, autonomy. And it's because of things like that, you know, things like the nursing rounds. So, you know, I'm, I'm hoping, you know, with, with having you on and talking about this, that that might inspire another nurse practitioner that's specialized in something else to really empower their nurses to, you know, and continue that education. Um, just because of how invaluable I've, I've, thought it was on our unit and how you saw the long-term impact of what it did for the culture. So, no, I think it's really important. And I also, I would love for it to be everywhere. I would really love for it. And, you know, in the ICU setting, you do, there's a lot of teaching rounds with um, the teams. Mm-hmm. You don't just don't get it in acute care right. setting. You really yeah. don't because the opportunity isn't there. Yeah. Um, so in a way, I think it's even more important for acute care nurses to have some sort of um, forum that they can have this, you know, where they can learn and ask questions and have it be very, very um, easy, you know, and, and non-judgmental. Like no one has a wrong answer. There yeah. is no wrong answer. Yeah. There's just different ways of thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. What are some... What are some of the most gratifying aspects to you, you think, in your profession of being an acute care nurse practitioner? Um, beside the nursing, um, beside having the nursing relationships, I think is having patient and family relationships. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I, seriously, I sometimes I'll be sitting in a room talking to a patient and a family and I actually get chills that go up my spine. Like, cause I know that it's like, it's just happening. You know, it's, there's a connection and they're feeling good about things. And, and I seriously, I get chills that go up my spine and I walk out of the room and I just think, Oh, that was like amazing. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure. Um, I mean, you have such a great bedside manner, you know, and that's so needed in those types of, in those types of patients that are being, you know, they're right in the middle of, of this profound point in their life, you know, it's, it's so valuable to them to have somebody that really cares about making that relationship. Yeah. And also knowing that they're going to get answers. I think that's really important, especially, um, you know, for surgeons or in the operating room, a lot of families never get to see the surgeon, the neurosurgeons because Mm -hmm. of their schedule. And so to think that they're going to have to wait for answers is really, that's, that's hard for them. Yeah. Um, and so knowing that, you know, if, if we're going to get a chest x-ray, I'm going to come back and tell them what the chest x-ray showed. They don't have yeah. to wait for that information. Yeah. And so, and I think that that also, that gives me a good feeling because I feel like the patients and the families know what's going on. You know, there's yeah. no questions then. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think for, so this episode really is about people interested in, in ACNP, you know, for a listener who might be interested in ACNP, 
do you think that there's a set of characteristics or what would what would behoove somebody to um, become a strong ACNP? Is there is there things you know in your toolbox that you should have to be a strong ACMP? Uh, so I think if um, the first thing that comes to my mind is approachable. Like mm-hmm. you, you have to be. You have a lot of people coming at you a lot, um, and it can be somewhat stressful. But if you, you just have to have an approachable personality because mm-hmm. if you have a standoffish personality, it affects patient care, right? Yeah. Because people will be scared to come to you. Yeah, you can't absolutely. be like that. It can't be like that. You can't be scared. I mean, I think you can be honest and say, Ooh, I'm kind of like a little overwhelmed. Is it something that can wait, you know, and I'll come find you. I think mm-hmm. you can be like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but approachable has to be key. Yeah. Yeah. So I I think approachable, I think you have to somewhat be, you can have high energy, but you also have to really take things in stride. And being a nurse is like that, right? Mm -hmm. Like no day is like the day before. No hour is like the hour before, right? So you have to be flexible and you have to really take things in stride and just say, I'm going to do the best I can here and Mm -hmm. it's going to be good. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> yes. We're gonna make it a better shift than last at last shift because last shift was rough. <laughs> exactly. And it's gonna be really good. So yeah. maybe optimism must be one of those qualities too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think you also have to have leadership. Um mm-hmm. and um and and also um you do have to be somewhat confident. Um, and that doesn't happen overnight. It, that doesn't even happen in school, but you have to have, um, know that you're well-trained, that you have something to add and that your voice is very important. So, you know, you, mm-hmm. you, you just kind of have to know that because you're going to stand up for a lot of people, a lot yeah. of people, you know? So I think those things, um, and then of course, empowering other people, um, is a good quality to have. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and, and be somewhat intelligent. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> oh, well, I think you check all those boxes, Dale. So. Thank you. <laughs> well, I am just so happy that you came on and we had this such a great, great conversation. I knew we would. I was so excited for this episode. So I was excited too. <laughs> but... Thank you for, I think we're going to end it here. So thank you so much for being on and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for asking me. Okay. Thank you for asking me. Take care of yourself. Bye. Bye. That brings us to the end of the show. Thanks for tuning in to Nursing Uncharted. To learn more about today's episode, make sure to explore the show notes at AmericanMobile.com slash Nursing Uncharted. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss a guest. If you're a nurse interested in traveling, visit AmericanMobile.com to explore the largest database of travel nursing jobs in the industry and the amazing benefits that American Mobile has to offer. Also, a special thanks to producer Jonathan Carey, assistant producers Katie Schrauben and Sam McKay, and Aiden Dykes for the music and editing. Until next time, take care of yourself.